Have you ever wanted to be more superhuman? Are you ready to contribute to the future of humanity while well, you're in the right place? Join Michelle and AJ now for the Becoming Superhuman podcast. You'll be glad that you did. Hi, everybody. While we're, while we're being patient with Facebook, you might just want to say where you're, um, where you're coming in from, where you are located, now that I've magically chewed my lozenger in front of you. Ah, oh, Bidabi, hi. Wow. Thanks for tuning in. Maryland. Jamie. Jamie, Jamie, you might be able to fix our Facebook Live pro- problems. Okay, I am going to go live into a different location. Hi, Susan from Sydney. Hi from Sydney, New Zealand. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us, everybody. I don't know if anyone has any questions now they want to put up uh, before we start, but happy to take questions at any point of time through the presentation. So, Technology is awesome when it works. I'll tell you, uh, we were actually delivering a, a Singularity Youth Summit in Spain um, and everything went out. The AV went out, the sound went out, everyone was sitting in darkness and nobody could talk to anyone. There were no announcements that could be made because there was no sound and it was pitch black. Uh, so it was quite, and there we were delivering a, um, a high tech, a high tech summit on how to use exponential technologies to create a, a, a better world and all the tech went. That's interesting. Long, but, yeah. How how what happens? Yeah, we might just need to go with Zoom. Yep, I'll just let AJ go back. To, absolutely, Jamie. It does go back to humanity all the time, one hundred percent. We're going to be talking about um, moonshots and moonshot thinking this afternoon, uh, and I'll just um, go into now is an amazing time to be able to to dream as big as as you can imagine something to happen. Uh, and we'll go through uh, a lot of the reasons uh, that that is so uh, during this period of time where we are in a situation where we've never been before and nothing, so my absolute, I'll just qualify this right from the beginning, uh, I would not wish COVID-19 um, and the situation that we're in economically, health-wise, et cetera, uh, on anyone. I have friends in Italy and Spain uh, who what who were not so much now because things have eased up a bit, but watching body bags come out of apartment buildings and that is the absolute height of of tragedy. Uh, but the silver linings and the lessons that we can be learning at this point of time, and I actually believe that we have been given a point of time where we can choose to all walk together, uh, and that's part of our moonshot thinking. Hi, Christine. Okay, so what we might do, Christina, we will go ahead and keep on with the conversation and what we're going to do is drop the link to this talk into the Facebook group later on when it allows us to do that because I've already tried two or three different groups to live stream into and it's not coming to the party, so that's fine. We'll go ahead and do it through Zoom. So as you heard Christina talking about, the title of her talk tonight is Moonshot Thinking from the impossible to the possible. And I think that that's so important when we are considering the whole idea of dreaming big and having ideas is that when we're in that that phase of what we're doing, it's not about what's practicable. But at some point during the process, it becomes about how do we do this? What do we need to do? Where can we start? And that's one thing I love about your work is you're going from absolutely like the biggest, most kind of interconnected picture in terms of human and tech and and how we are evolving as a species and co-evolving as a species right down to sort of the detail within organisations about 
how they can actually put in place a process and procedure to be more innovative. And so I like that you're working at both ends of the spectrum. Christina is the co-CEO of Singularity University here in Australia. So if any of you heard Peter Singh speak the other night, that is one of her colleagues. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to you, Christina, and thank you so much for being willing to come and share your wisdom with us. We hugely appreciate it. Thank you to you and AJ for organising a, a most remarkable lineup of speakers. And as I said to you earlier, if I can't get on live to watch, because I've usually got it streaming in the background, except when I'm on a Zoom meeting, uh, which there are multiple of those happening at the moment, um, then I watch it later when I'm answering emails and everything uh, at night. So thank you so much. They've been amazing conversations. So, yeah, and I know that you've got a great team working with you as well. So nothing nothing happens without a team. Um, I'm actually going sh- to share my screen uh, with you. So I, I'm, I would probably have Jamie laughing at the moment because she's wondering what's going to come up. <laughs> She'll be wanting to yeah. for you. <laughs> to tidy it all up. So I'm just hoping that you can see the presentation. Yes, we can. Uh, okay. So the topic is is moonshot thinking, and here's a quick definition. So a moonshot is committing to solve a specific problem before you know how to make it happen. Um, and something that you said uh, before about how we do, we're very much around actioning and making sure that there's tangible results. Simon Sinek has quoted Seth Godin as saying, uh, an idea without execution is hallucination. So we are absolutely of that mindset that you can have the biggest dreams possible, but if you don't come back and have a plan of execution, um, then you know, you've had a really nice sort of hallucinating, imaginating um, time. Even I can tell you, so I had a group of students at um, Disney Imagination or D- Disney Imagineers uh, earlier in January when we were allowed to travel and when we were allowed to have human-to-human interaction. Uh, and even at, um, at Imagination in Disneyland where they discover and they UX every single thing that's going to happen at a theme park or on a cruise ship or wherever, they are so much into here's the big idea and how do we execute it not only that, but here's an important lesson as well. How do we make it the best experience for the people that will be having that experience? So Moonshot, committing to solve a specific problem before you know how to make it happen. And I'm going to tell you um, a little story. This is my grandparents. These are my grandparents. So this is Christola and Kiriako Yarakithi. I can say that with a Greek accent because my parents sent me to Greek school. Uh, and my grandfather was sent on a ship when he was 15 years old, never to see his parents again sent to a foreign country that nobody knew much about. He was from this tiny little island called Githira, uh, which is, you know, 15 miles by three miles of solid rock. Uh, he was born in a village and he was sent to Australia to make enough money to take his brother or to bring out his brothers and sisters to this amazing country that we are blessed to live in. And they knew that they would never see him again. So he couldn't speak English. Uh, and there he is at 15 years old on his way to a foreign land. My grandfather, this is the island that he came from, so it was nowhere near as populated as it is now. This is what it looks like, you know, a couple of years ago, very much a a beautiful island that you go and have an idyllic holiday on. But my grandfather came to Australia, and that handsome dude on the uh, with the little moustache is my dad, Uh, and my grandfather opened up a milk bar, as did most Greeks when they came over at that point in time. He was also very much involved with helping new migrants come over, and the story is that he did bring... He had six brothers and sisters. He brought five of them to Australia. The youngest one refused to go. So he wanted to, he, he died on the island. He just wanted to stay um, on the island. 
But what you're looking at is the very first chop top that was invented by my grandfather. So my uncle used to come in from from um, work in the afternoon and he would scoop up some ice cream and dunk it into this chocolate mix that my, my grandfather would make to create the most amazing chocolate-coated Easter eggs. And he would dunk the chocolate, the ice cream, um, into the chocolate and it would drip everywhere. And my grandfather went, mm-hmm, you know, there could be something in this. So he had kofa in the mix, in the chocolate mix, and what he did was he played around with the kofa until he actually got the right consistency so that he could. my uncle would dip the ice cream in and the ice cream would harden. So he actually invented the first chock top, uh, took it to the Sydney um, Sydney show, sold out very quickly, uh, and there was, you know, there was a, a migrant who came to Australia at 15 years old and for me, that is an amazing story of making impossible possible. Not only did this 15-year-old who didn't know the language, who came from a tiny Greek island, make enough money to bring his brothers and sisters over, but he also was the inventor of the chop top. Unfortunately, he didn't know about patenting. Uh, a bit about SU. Our mission is to educate, inspire, and empower leaders to apply exponential tech to address humanity's grand challenges. The humanity's grand challenges that we talk about are very closely aligned to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And in fact, the Global Grand Challenges and the Sustainable Development Goals were almost created at the same time and were had the input from very much the same people. They fit into each other. They totally align. Often we talk in terms of the 17 Development Goals. Uh, we, we call them the 12 Global Grand Challenges. But it, what, it, what it is is about creating a better life for everybody on the planet. Particularly at SU, our mission um, is to identify the values of humanity where they intersect with the value of technology. Technology is a resource. It can make our lives easier, but it's up to us as humans to say, how does technology make our lives easier? It's not about technology taking over from humanity. It's about how do we allow it to to interface with what we do? How do we use it as a resource to create a better world for as many people as we can? And here's probably what I mean by that. So in this process, um, we call it humanivate. So to humanivate means to consider humanity first in each process of, of innovation. And that's very much how we roll um, at Singularity U Australia. We are pretty lucky at the moment in our point of history where we have the ability to know anything, anywhere, at any time. Some people find that a little bit overwhelming uh, because we can get very much caught up in the information over overabundance of information. Uh, but we are very lucky in a way to know anything, anywhere, anytime. And what that means is that we can source a lot of different information and we're in what we call the land of convergence. And we're going to talk a bit more about the land of convergence shortly. But I want to give you a, a brief overflow. At SU, we often talk about the six Ds, um, and they are digitization, deception, disruption, dematerialization, demonetization, and democratization. And it all starts with how is the world becoming digitized? And during COVID-19, what we're noticing is that we've had to jump on board very quickly um, into the digital world. So the digital world has allowed us to remain connected, to keep working, to um, solve the COVID-19 crisis on a on a global level, so to use global intelligence to solve what that is. So digitization is where things go digital. And here's some examples that won't be foreign to anyone. 
audio went from analog to digital and it meant that we can, at a click of a button, listen to any music that we want. Images went from analog to to digital so we could either get a video developed or we could get photos developed you know some of you won't be old enough to remember when you used to have to take the film out of the camera um go and process it you wouldn't even know if you had decent photos until you you paid a fortune to get the the packet of photos back um text so we know we can still handwrite letters and in fact some of the technology is allowing us now to handwrite because of the psychological benefits of actually physically writing something but writing has gone to text DNA has become digitized. So there's all these aspects of our lives now that has become digitized. So step one, first of the, of the Ds. We go through this point where the digitization can in fact be a bit deceptive before it actually takes over and what we call disrupts different industries. Uh, so Airbnb and Uber are, are quite common examples that we use in this deception phase. Airbnb and Uber did not go from a digitization of accommodation and transport sharing uh, overnight into a disruptive phase. They kind of, you know, simmered underneath as things do, things develop, you make prototypes, you test, you iterate, somebody comes up with the idea and then, and then you kind of put this team together that works through something. When it hits the market, we often say it's disruptive, but in fact, it hasn't happened overnight. It's something that has been festering and you know, brewing for quite some time. So it hits hits mainstream and it becomes what we call disruptive. Can I just jump How in? Many, yeah, Sorry. sure. For those who haven't used Zoom before, please feel free either to chat in the chat box or if you have a specific question that you want us to come back to to make sure that Christina answers before the end of the presentation, just drop that straight into the Q&A box. Thanks. Sorry to interrupt. And I'm really, really happy to be interrupted on the way through to answer questions as well, Michelle. Okay. So all these things that you see on the screen now, radio, books, camera, video, GPS, flashlights, telephone, maps, music, all these things have become what we call dematerialized. And in fact, they become dematerialized to your phone. So who would have thought five years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that all these things could then appear on one single item. So we call that dematerialization. And of course, there's people that will still listen to radio, although I don't know many people that listen to radio. I do know quite a few people that still um, prefer paper books. Uh, we know people have, we see people walking around in the morning taking amazing sunset and surfing photos, for example, with the most amazing cameras. Most of these other items are held in one device. So dematerialization. As things become dematerialized uh, and they become more accessible, we say that they've become demonetized. And so, for example, the ENIAC computer, have a look at the figures there. It, was, it cost $500,000. It weighed 30 tons. Have a look at it's 0.001 gigahertz. Um, compared to the iPhone 7 that came out in 2016, that was 2.38 gigahertz, 138 grams, and cost $850. So as something becomes uh, more common, it becomes demonetized. The more it becomes demonetized, the more it becomes democratized. And that's, that's making things much more accessible. It makes things like education, telehealth, um, fintech, ag tech, et cetera, more accessible to greater numbers in, in community. So I mentioned before the word convergence and the picture that you're looking at right now is uh, the photo, a photo of a quadriplegic who has been placed in an exoskeleton suit. A backstory to that and an example of this is actually happening in Australia. Now, uh, one of our amazing 
Dr. Jordan Nguyen, who we had the pleasure of having um, at the Singularity U Australia Summit in October 2019, is also working um, with some patients in, in this field. What they did um, in the US, so converging technologies are when different technologies are put together to create uh, a, a desired outcome. Or we dream, going back to Moonshot, we dream of something that might be possible and then we start putting different technologies together in order to create the reality out of what that is. So that somebody sometime had this crazy idea that if they immersed a quadriplegic or a paraplegic in augmented reality and virtual reality, because of what we know about NLP now and the brain can form different pathways, whereas once upon a time that was, that was not considered possible, if that immersion happened, what would happen to the body? of the people that were undergoing this experiment. And what they found was after a three-month period of immersion in augmented reality, virtual reality, so these people behind um, glasses and behind different headsets were walking, running, playing sports they potentially played before they had an accident that put them in the, in the situation that they're now in. That convergence of technology, so we've got augmented reality and virtual reality, now converging with what you see in front of you is an exoskeleton suit that is made up of different sensors, different material bits run by a computer. Um, they placed quadriplegics into the exoskeleton suit and measured movement. And what they found was there was movement in some limbs where they never thought that would be possible. But because of potentially different pathways that were being created, this was the eventual scenario. What they really didn't expect was after seven months of immersion in augmented reality, virtual reality, was that the limbs would actually begin to move on their own without the immersion in the exoskeleton suit. That is not to say that quadriplegics, paraplegics may be able to walk again, but it has given a whole industry, a whole medical industry hope uh, in advancing. So the moonshot was Let's create something that will enable potentially people who have no use of limbs to recover use of limbs. We converged different technologies. We brought different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together. And the result is these experiments that are going on right now. So we've got a wow, how amazing. Now someone's yeah. mentioned um, Schumpeter's creative destruction. Does that mean something to you? No. Can you say that again? Um, Schumpeter's creative destruction. I think it was in a context of stuff that you were saying earlier. So, yeah. It might, yeah. It might not be so I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I do know of the theory, but I don't know enough about it to to comment. Um, but I'm happy to look it up and then answer any particular questions. Or if you want to put some information in the chat for other people that um that are watching, uh, that yeah, would be absolutely amazing. Yes. So if you want to grab a link to that, okay. Vanessa, and drop it in. Feel free to do that. Yep. The gentleman that you see in front of you is a guy called Neil Harbison, and he's another another example of moonshot thinking. So Neil is colorblind, and he he somebody said to him, "But don't you want to see? Don't you want to have color?" And he went, "No way, I don't want to see color because he sees better in the dark. He will never need glasses, um, and there's a whole lot of other reasons why he doesn't want to be able to to see color. However, he wanted to experience color." So what he devised with the help of a team is what you see on his skull at the moment is an antenna and the antenna vibrates with different frequencies um, for different colours and he's actually equated all the different frequencies to musical notes. So he jokes that some days he dresses according to the colour 
in the room because he transfers that into a note and it transfers into music and therefore he dresses according to the mood of the music. So he's quite quite a remarkable human. Just pause there just for a second, Christina, so that yep. make sure that everyone understands how vibration works. And each colour that you see vibrates at a particular different level, as does each musical note, as does each part of the matter around us. So that's how they're able to equate a musical note to be in an experience of an actual colour by using the same megahertz vibration. Yeah. So he this the antenna that he has picks up the the vibration of the colour in the room. He has actually had this this is an implant. It's attached to his skull. It will never come off. And I had I actually had dinner with him. Um and it took a little while for me to get used to to the antenna um that he had, but it was quite remarkable listening to his concept of everything. So he now calls himself um a species. He doesn't call himself human. He calls himself um a, a global he's a global citizen, but he's a global species. And because he has this antenna, and what he actually says is the antenna's from Switzerland, so he has multi um, multi citizenship in Switzerland and uh, the US and in Madrid. So he has you know, one of his. <laughs> but what he what he's doing now is also quite remarkable. He wants to have um, a chip implanted in his forehead that takes twenty four hours to to go around the inside of his skull, and he wants it to be quite specific to the twenty four hours because then he wants to play around with time. Uh, and he wants to see if he can make time go faster or slower, um, controlling this device that's going to take 24 hours to go around his brain. So he calls himself, he's a, he's an artist. He calls himself a cyborg artist. Uh, but this is, he like, he had this idea that was a moonshot idea. He's put the right team together. He has found people um, that help him do this. And this is, this is his life's work. This is the legacy that he wants to leave behind, how to augment his reality into overcoming some of the shortcomings that he believes um, humans may have. Mm, and someone's just said, talk about a superhuman. And I think yeah. I think what's really interesting from my point of view, and I might leave this till later to specifically ask you, but for me, the, where some of those more ethical questions come in, there's a big difference in wearable tech to implantable tech. And I think some of those ethical kind of questions, I'd really love you to address those, whether you feel like you want to do it now or later in the presentation is entirely up to you. There may be some more things that, that bring ethical um, ideologies up. So let's let's do it at the end. I, I love an ethical debate. Absolutely love it. So Neil, Neil was actually, is quite a remarkable um, human or, or cyborg, as he prefers to call himself because he actually believes in the good of every human species and every species and he believes that we should all coexist um, all together as one as one species. So remarkable human. Uh, a lot of the, the arguments that we come up with come up against, sorry, with when we're, when we're talking about technology is that technology is overtaking a lot of people's work. There's a whole, string of um, again this is an ethical topic but there's a whole string of, of discussion around technology destroys jobs but it doesn't destroy work so some jobs evaporate because technology is introduced but it doesn't actually destroy the work so there was a study done um, in 2015 in the UK 800,000 jobs were lost to technology so emphasis on the word jobs 3.5 million jobs were created um, and there's a whole ethical debate around why are we not taking the robotic jobs that have only been around really since the industrial age, why are we not taking those robotic jobs away from humans, making them automated, giving them, passing them onto technology in order for humans to do what they do best, and that is be creative. 
mindset is super crucial, particularly at the moment. So how do we go forward um, in in the current circumstances, and how do we keep creating and innovating when we have uh, when we uh, potentially have a fixed mindset? So I'm going to tell you a little story about myself. Uh, and you know, I've been in the innovation space since creativity and innovation were words that shouldn't be used. Um, in in uh, in jointly because creativity was all about fine arts and ceramics and nobody really cared about innovation at this particular point of time. So that's how long I've been in this field for. So I'm thinking, you know, I've got a pretty open mindset. You know, I'm I'm pretty fluid. I'll go with the flow. I'll do all those kind of things. I'm a vegetarian. This is the color of my diet. So I went to I had an executive program um, SU experience and this was placed in front of me. Or not like this; it was in cooked form. But this is um, this is an example of of cellular agriculture. So this meat was grown in a lab, and uh, it was grown from meat cells DNA. It was about the cost at this point of time, and this is where we go. Um, this is at the beginning of technology; things are super expensive at this point of time. Meat was about five thousand dollars a kilo when it was produced using cellular agriculture. It's since come down a bit to about thirteen dollars for for um, about the about the price of a hamburger, about thirteen dollars. But I I didn't eat this meat because it was meat, and I'm a vegetarian. And when I got home, I was telling my children, who are or my, my daughter's now vegetarian, but at that point in time, my children were all meat eaters. And she said, did you eat it? And I went, of course I didn't eat it. I'm a vegetarian. Why on earth would I eat meat? And she said, but no animal was hurt. And I had, I had explained to them how environmentally, um, how it had saved the environment, uh, a ton of water, much less agricultural space taken up, et cetera. So I'd explained that to them. And she said, so the environment was saved. No animal was hurt. Why didn't you try it? And at that point in time, I went, whoa, my mindset is nowhere near as open as what I thought it was. So when we're looking at moonshot thinking and we're taking things down to potentially what may end up being first principle thinking, which is something that was started by Aristotle in ancient Greece, but Elon Musk is a proponent of it. Um, first principle thinking says break everything down to its very basic components. When I think about mind shift and when I think about what we need in order to innovate, and when I think about the changes that need to be made during and beyond um, the current situation with COVID-19, we really need to have an open mindset and we really need to break things down as much as we can down to first principle thinking. And at the very basic explanation of first principle thinking is ask why five times. Why does this exist? Why does that exist? Why is it that way? Why do we have those beliefs? Why, why, why? Take it down until we come down to what hopefully are the very basic principles of a component of something that we're discussing. But we can talk more about that later as well. One of the things that we do often talk about at, um, at Singularity U are um, first order and second order consequences. So when we're humanivating, when we're looking at moonshot thinking, we also need to be very mindful of the long-term consequences of any changes that we might make. And the best scenario um, that I can give is, is not a very happy story, but uh, it shows you how we can get caught up um, in the immediacy of a problem solving, but we don't actually think long term. So this is another Greek island, uh, who, and I won't name which Greek island it is, um, but what happened on this Greek island, and this is anecdotal, so it's not actually, it hasn't been proven by science because the studies weren't done, it's an anecdotal story. So let me just make that very perfectly clear. 
This island was inundated with pests. So this is cutting a very long story short. Inundated with pests, they used aerial spray to eliminate the pests. And very quickly what happened was the pests died. The birds left the island because there were no pests to eat. Um, vegetation kind of like took a back step because the birds weren't there eating the seeds to poop everywhere else to revegetate. But something else happened at this point of time. And this uh, on this island, they have drinking water. They don't, they don't drink um, water out of the wells, but they still used well water to wash up in, wash fruit and veg in, um, water gardens in, shower in. And what they noticed at a particular point of time was there was an increase in hormonal cancers. Uh, and it was anecdotally traced back to the spraying of pesticides because when it rained, the pesticide residue was being washed into the wells and that well water was being used, as I just said, for showering, for washing vegetables, for watering gardens. So there is an anecdotal belief that um, the increase in the pesticides in this water led to potentially an increase in hormonal cancers. So this is what we mean by what are the first order, what are the second order consequences of all our actions. That's something that really we need to be mindful of when we are moonshot thinking, when we come back to first principles and figure out what it is we need in order to do to create that moonshot into a reality, but what are the ongoing consequences. The other thing that we are very encouraging of is if you think an individual cannot make a difference, have a look at the two people um, in front of you right now, whether you agree with what they both believe in or not uh, is, is inconsequential to this argument. If you have a voice, if you want to have a voice, even an individual right now has the power to influence many citizens and to influence many discussions. All you have to do is have a voice and get involved. So we encourage everybody to have a voice, just as you are offering plenty of speakers on this amazing um, superhuman summit, the ability to have a voice and you are also offering all the people that are listening um, the ability to partake in the conversations and to have chats, etc. Have a voice. In order to have a voice, you have to understand exactly what you stand for. So the question is to everybody, what do you stand for? What is it that you want to be remembered for? Big time, little time, what is it you want to stand for? I had a, um, had a friend uh, or have a friend just, and just his whole pause. philosophy. Just pause before you tell us about that friend. We yeah. want that not to be a rhetorical question, okay, because if you are on here listening, what I'd love you to do is drop in an answer. What is it that you stand for? What, what are you passionate about? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What matters to you more than anything else? And we'd love you just to drop that straight into the chat and continue with your story. Thanks, Christina. So he actually said to me, I have decided that I want to be a big fish in a small pond rather than be a big fish or be a small fish in a big pond. So he had chosen to use his voice uh, to affect his local area rather than have um, a huge influence and try and have a global voice. Right now, in this point of time, if you have the right connections and if you make the right contacts and if you have the right message, you can actually have that loud voice from anywhere in the world. A better question for me at the moment is not just what do I stand for, but what do we collectively stand for? Because we are in a position right now where we can either choose to walk together as global citizens or we can choose to um, shrink back into our own ego uh, and not worry about what the collective does stand for. So what is it that I stand for? 
bigger question is what do we stand for? How do we want the world to be? How do we see things? You know, people are going, or oh, how do we, how do you see things post COVID? For me, what has happened is that COVID has actually hurried us up in so many areas, in digitisation, um, in workplaces, in the future of cities, in the adoption of different different methodologies and different ways of living, in the adoption of telehealth and and you know so many things. COVID has gone. Hey, you've got to hurry up. You know, this is this is these are all the things you need to think about now because of of what has been presented. These things were always on the back burner. So the future of retail, the future of cities, the future of education, the future of agriculture, they were all happening at that point, you know, happening before COVID. COVID has actually made us hurry up and consider where we want to sit. So where do we want to stand and what do we want to stand for? Okay, well, I can tell um, you what some people in the group are standing for. So someone wants to raise the consciousness of humanity about building sustainable cities and communities. Someone else is passionate about finding solutions to the financial depression. Someone else is passionate about health field um, content or content potentially, connected humans, communities and nations. And I'm just going to keep scrolling. Seeing people smile, igniting collaborations, sustainable communities, Yes, agreement with what you're saying about it's the time to stand together and create human-centred leaders for the fourth industrial revolution. So that's some of the things. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Fantastic. Um, and, and they're the things that we can all combine together and find united communities where we can actually share conversation and increase the conversation in communities that may not have heard and may not be interested um, immediately in what we're saying. My belief is that this is where we are right now. We are on a tightrope and we can go either way. So we have been given the opportunity to walk the tightrope and to come out the other side as a better society. And my question to everyone at the moment is, how do you want to be remembered? Because my daughter said to me last week or the week before, because I'm kind of losing track of days and time, as, is, as, as are a lot of people, <laughs> uh, but she said to me, you know how they talk about the Spanish flu in history? Will they talk about this period of time? I said, absolutely. And in fact, I'll talk about it more because we are recording everything about this period of time. Um, whereas when the Spanish flu happened, it was, you know, it was written records that it eventually were combined um, globally, but that didn't happen until many years later. And we're actually not going to know the absolute truth about COVID-19 until we get through the other side, whatever that looks like. And we've looked back and we've assessed data and we've looked at, at, at the way different organisations and different countries have dealt with the situation. And you know what? Everyone won't have dealt with it in the best way, but everybody is dealing with it, I believe, in the best way that they know right now in order to handle the situation. So we are walking on this tightrope right now and we have the ability to influence the world for good um, or we have the ability to shrink back into our own ego and only worry about ourselves. We have the ability to face. I, yep. just, I just want to jump in and get you to clarify something. It's, yep. it's very inspirational to talk about a co the collective of humanity working towards something. Yep. What is that something? Say that again. What is that something? It's very inspirational to talk about the idea of collective humanity putting in their effort and focusing and working toward X. My yep. question is what is the X? The X is different things for different people right now. So there are some people who are focusing on health and there are some people that are focusing on society and there are some people that are focusing on, as one of the one of the um, people in the chat said, they're focusing on what the economic outcome is. 
So there are different people focusing on different things and there are different groups that are collectively addressing the 17 you know, sustainable development goals or the 12 global grand challenges. So wherever that passion is or the groups that are being organised, there are there are groups like the um, like Human Power, there are groups like, um, there's a group called Inter- Interglobal Dependents who are working all together. There are groups uh, that are looking after. So when you look at um, all the good things that are happening around, what is that social bottom line? What's that social impact? So um, the groups that are working on a collective consciousness. That, so there's different pockets of different people. It doesn't matter what group you're actually working with or aligned with. That's the reason why everybody has a unique talent. So going back to AJ with, with you know, um, the unique, her unique quotient, her uniqueness power, everybody has a unique power that we are all being invited to step into right now and to form collectives and to form a louder voice around what it is. Is it that you're really passionate about education? Is it that you're really passionate about climate change? Use that voice and use that unique talent to step into whatever your X is um, and have a collective voice around that. So I actually believe that that we have come through. So if we go back years, many years ago, and we lived in tribes, but the tribe, everyone had a place in the tribe, but it may not have been the place that you wanted to have in the tribe. You may have been assigned to something that you weren't overly good at, you weren't overly passionate about. Then we went into this period of time where where we were allowed to formulate our own talents and we were allowed to follow our own passions and we studied whatever it was that we were really interested in, maybe, if you were lucky enough to do that. Um, I believe now what we're being asked to do is to show up with our unique talent for the benefit of the collective. So it's almost like we've been through two phases and now is the time to unite what those two phases are. And here's why I think that's true. We talk in terms of exponential and I I actually don't think at SU we will ever have to define what an exponential curve is ever again, uh, which is quite (laughs) often the way we've had to start, you know, a conversation. But if you have a look at the word exponential, this is what it looks like to me. Um, it is how do we all join together to create the great change that really needs to happen in society right now for us to walk together, to collectively go forward, to take up an opportunity to create a better world if that's where we want to be. Is that how we want to be remembered? Is that how we will be remembered as having create, come out of this with a better, better outcome than what it was that we went into? And I clearly don't think it's an accident that right now we are talking um, meditation, we're talking yoga. You know, you guys are starting every day with a with a meditation, which is absolutely awesome. So yoga, meditation, mindfulness, breathing, etc., all the different techniques that we have to still ourselves. So on one hand, we've got we've got a society that's madly rushing, madly growing, madly moving forward, having to pivot and change and shift and move every single day right now. And I keep saying it. You know, I go to bed at night with what I think is the next day planned and then I go, gee whiz, if I can just get to lunchtime without it all changing amazingly, you know, so fast, wouldn't that be an amazing achievement right now? So on the one hand, there's constant change, constant busyness. I know people that have gone, where's everybody finding the stillness um, right now? They can't find the stillness uh, in in being locked down. They're, you know, they're busier than ever. So, and, you know, I know there's days when I'm on calls from 8 o'clock in the morning till even 11 o'clock at night because we have that global connection now. But there's a reason that mindfulness, meditation, yoga, et cetera, are happening at an increased rate just as technology is taking off at an increased rate. Because if we try mentally to keep up with the changes that are happening all the time now, 
without that, let's live in the moment. Let's take that breath. Let's let's see where everything sits. If we don't do that, we will we have the ability to go crazy. Um, so I think there's this balance. I find this balance happening in so many things. People that totally were against technology are now shifting into. They've had to shift into the use of technology. People that were all about technology are going, hmm, you know what, maybe there is some benefit in that human connectivity, middle road, retail, same thing. All the things that were happening that have been happening around retail and the closing down of, of stores that was happening before that's been heightened by COVID, but also that human experience, what does that look like? You know, we'll have a hybrid of what retail and online looks like. We'll have a hybrid of Many things, I believe, as we come out of, of this situation and we realise, you know, there's great benefits from working from home, but there's also great benefits in that water cooler conversation that isn't the same as when you're, when you're having a Zoom conversation or, or Hangouts or whatever, whatever aspect that you're using. So I absolutely believe that these two things are growing in, they're almost growing at an exponential rate at the same rate in order for us to deal with, the, with a fast pace of change. And I think that's where things like our capacity as humans to reflect become so important because it's mm -hmm. so critical that we can make a human decision about the impact that technology is or is not having in our world and technology, not, yeah. not allow ourselves to outsource all of the decisions to technology and I think that's important. Just to let you know there's only a couple of minutes and you need to wrap yep. up. Yep, I'm good. So technology is actually a resource um, that we need to use. As, as we said before, it's where the values of humanity intersect with the value of technology. It's a resource for us to use. And this is the, the last little story I want to tell you. So back to my grandfather. That was my uncle, one of my uncle's birthdays. So dad was one of five boys. And my uncle and my grandfather had had five bundles of five sticks bound together. And he, first of all, he gave each a single he gave each of the boys a single stick and he said, break that. Uh, and, you know, click, N not easy, you know, easy, absolutely easy to break a single twig. And then he gave them the bundles of the five twigs. He said, break that. And clearly it was much more difficult for them to break it. And he said to them, that's the strength. When you all stand together, when you stand beside each other, you are harder to break. You are a stronger unit as you move forward together. So in this age of change, constant change, lockdown laws where's where's the world going we are we need to keep remembering that we are much better when we are the one unit together so that's the end of the presentation and I'm actually going to come off here so I can um actually see and, you uh, better yep all those options what's your preferred option if someone would like to get in contact with you for some reason is it uh probably LinkedIn just look up Chris Danager record is on LinkedIn it's probably the easiest um, and easiest way to do it. The Superhuman Summit Group. So if anyone wants to comment or further, yeah. And look, I think there's so much in what you've talked about tonight. But one of the key things for me is about the reflection piece, the yeah. human interaction with technology, and the fact that technology actually can't decide where it's going itself. Humans have to do that on behalf of technology. And, and I think that um, that becomes really important when you're looking at some of those ethical questions that 
we referred to earlier that we haven't really got time to delve into here. But if you do have further questions for Christina, please just jump in. As she said, connect with her on LinkedIn. Do you have any last words of wisdom that you want to share just as we're wrapping up? Yeah, I'm really sorry. I actually thought we had question time till six o'clock. Um, and that, that's why the presentation sorry, we'll kind of just finished. At six, so we've got the yeah. change. Okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so I, I think the words of wisdom are, um, you know, you've had some speakers on that have said, follow your intuition. Uh, and I, I don't think there's been a greater time in history where we have to follow our intuition. But I also ask people to not judge others and to not blame. So we're very quick at, at potentially wanting this to be somebody's fault. This is not anyone's fault. This is a situation that we find ourselves in. And if we go back to we are better together and that we can create a better future when we are together, we really need to, to bond together and make the best use and come out of this walking together and creating the future that we really want to want to create. So, you know, it, I, I'm what I call um, a realistic optimist. I wake up every day with hope. Uh, it's not to say that I don't wake, wake up some days in tears because it gets to me as well. I go into overwhelm and, you know, we, we've all got massive mountains to climb right now. Uh, but if we can just remember that hope um, and that we will be remembered out of this the way that we deserve to be remembered. Absolutely. And I would say in our better future together, it takes every single one of us there's not one person on the planet that is here accidentally. There's not one person on the planet that is here that doesn't matter or that doesn't count. There's not one person on the planet whose ideas we don't need and contribution is not important. So please go away from this feeling like that you matter because that's the upshot. Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much, Michelle and AJ, for putting this together. It's been a remarkable experience. And thank you everyone for contributing and jumping into the chat box and sharing. The next person that we have coming on who will be here at six o'clock, her name is Trisha Martin, and she is talking about the idea of nudging rather than shoving. So the idea that a very small act can create a massive difference. So if you are interested in a topic like that, then you can go ahead and jump on her link. Thanks again, Christina. Thank you. Okay, have a great rest of summit. I'll be watching. See ya. Bye. Mm-hmm.